You're listening to Conversion Nations, the podcast that helps conversion optimizers overcome challenges they face with their experimentation programs. Brought to you by Effective Experiments, the workflow and project management software helping optimizers make experimentation a core part of their business. Scale up your testing program with a centralized solution and document all your research, ideas, experiments, and results in one place. Learn more and request your free trial by visiting EffectiveExperiments.com. And now, your host, Manuel DaCosta. Welcome. You're watching or listening to Conversion Nations. My name is Manuel DaCosta, the host of Conversion Nations and the founder of Effective Experiments. Uh, thank you for joining us again. Now, if you haven't watched or listened to the last episode, go and do that uh, before you watch this one because this is essentially a continuation of that episode. And on uh, this episode, we're going to be talking uh, with Val, uh, who's joining us today. Um, and it's, it's basically a continuation of uh, that concept we uh, introduced in that last episode of Experimentation Ops. Uh, to summarize that, Experimentation Ops, uh, as I mentioned, is, is a concept we've been working on at, at Effective Experiments, where essentially we've learned that, or we've seen, that to be successful in experimentation, uh, it's more about change management than about the skills you have in CRO, which is your, your statistics or being able to launch and execute tests. And the real long-term value of conversion optimization lies there. Uh, so without further ado, let's jump into this episode uh, and uh, welcome the people joining me. So Val, welcome again. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. And uh, Tim, uh, you're enjoying a lovely summer's day in Peterborough. Thanks for joining us as well. Yeah, it's actually raining, but I've got the door open so the dog can get in and out. So <laughs> apologies, the, the, the dynamic range is not quite good on the camera. So I'll look a bit shady. It's not that it's sunny. It's just that there's a contrast. Yeah, I'm good. Good. Looking forward to my holiday. I'm, I'm off to France next week. And hopefully. Nice. Nice. So people listening to the winter, we're in the summer right now. So, yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, so let's start with Val. So Val, you've you've had a listen to uh, or watched the last episode where we, uh, where Tim and myself, we talked about uh, the challenges that conversion optimizers face, and as I mentioned, this concept of experimentation ops, and really want to get your thoughts on this, um, and really just have a continuation of that discussion, but with your input as well in this episode. So over to you. Yeah, so um, at Search Discovery, one of the things we help people understand is how to build their organizational blueprint, if you will. So to, based on the resources that you have or how big your uh, goals are for what you want to deliver within your organization, um, we put together different plans of, of the hierarchy of people that you need to support the program. And one of the roles that I heard you guys talking about in the last episode sounds very familiar to what we like to call the test manager. And so this is, if, you, if you're one optimization person and you get one second body, this is the role that we recommend for the exact reason that you guys were talking about, because it's someone who can work on the logistics, who can coordinate all the right people, who can make sure that the right conversations are had at the right time period to make sure that things are seamlessly launching. So we have like a T minus 28 days before test launch, things you think about, and then post-launch. And so that test manager makes sure that everything happens the way you want it to. So right there in line with the analyst or the, the CRO to make sure that all those things are happening together. And so, and as your team potentially grows, or if you're building a center of excellence, either 
uh, centralized or hub and spoke, we recommend other roles that cause like further, further diversification uh, or niche in the role. But that test manager one is like always preserved. In, in reality, um, so you, you mentioned test manager, like to me, that sounds like on the face of it, obviously, as you say, it, it, it's, it matches quite closely to what we discussed uh, for the role of an experimentation ops manager. Uh, and do you feel like a test manager is too, again, too down in the, the nitty gritty of the actual day-to-day -day work rather than the evangelization and the change management as you expect? Or do you see that they take on that, that, that role fairly early on or maybe it's, it's something that's gradual? So I like to find evangelization opportunities with every part of the experiment. So I think that there are some things that are um, tactically on the plate of the test manager to help with some of that evangel evangelization, if you will. So as an example, um, when I was at AMA, we had um, this blog post that we used to get people kind of bought into the test idea before it launched. And at the bottom, we had that gamification of which variation do you think will win? So this type of activity where you're announcing the test, getting feedback and potentially getting that voting done, that would be on the test manager's plate to accomplish, but in like the task realm. Whereas the other partner in this role, like again, if this is the two person team, the CRO is taking evangelization opportunities uh, when they're in their presentations or when they're in ideation sessions or they're the one person sitting on the product scrum meetings trying to figure out how we're going to get that MVP versus not the worst. So I think that it's more um, organic and conversational and more rooted in some of the core principles of the CRO to evangelize in that way. And the test manager has certain activities that they do on a, on a more of a task basis that allows those continual touch points with the spirit of what you're trying to accomplish in the program. Does that make sense? It does. Uh, Tim, your thoughts on this? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I mean, it's, it's a good, good concept. We, <clears throat> at Maximize, we actually changed from being account managers to being uh, digital project managers, because effectively that's what we're talking about. It's a project manager looking at kind of what the work breakdown structure is, assignments, making sure the critical path is being met and the various, whatever checkpoints you've got in place, uh, are, are happening is the get things done person and I think an awful lot of the, the the people tripping over their own feet is they come up with an idea and then that idea doesn't, doesn't ever get fully executed which is where some of the faith in CRO some of the belief in CRO becomes eroded because great ideas if you go to test that and then somewhere along the line it, it breaks down they don't get the result they want. They don't get the clarity they expect. It takes longer. It costs more. It has more risks. It comes through bugs. And therefore, <coughs> the wider business just doesn't believe. So having somebody who gets things done, whatever you call it, test manager, project manager, is, is critical. Um, I'm quite interested to know kind of like how, how much pushback do you get on that? Because obviously adding in effectively... <coughs> Sorry, my dog is just biting my feet. <laughs> adding in... Maple... Yeah, um, if you if you add in this extra role, an awful lot of companies will go. Well, we've already got project management, or we've yeah. already got this, yeah. or we don't have a project manager because we all work in agile, so everybody's responsible for their own get things done. And what's and it seems like a luxurious position, and I would argue it's not because it needs that needs that focus on it being a test get out the door thing rather than just general project. But by the same token, it's it's hard to convince a company that you, you're not very good at getting stuff done because like, yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and it's like and getting things done in a test way has a different cadence to normal project management as well so you can't necessarily even assign your existing project people onto it unless they're experiment minded um so uh, how much pushback do you get on that if you're if you're trying to sort of evangelize that as as a role as a way for people to scale do you find that difficult to convince people or do they kind of chance it and then see the results how, how does that get past yeah no, that's a really good question and i think that like CROs are very good, like exactly what you said, at managing the test cycle or the test process, but getting that plugged into the organization with its existing ways of working with that one guy who sits down there who's always, you know, that problem, like making sure that things like happen, that's two different things. And that's actually why we, we I love the term test manager versus project manager, because this project manager that's working with an experimentation ops is aware of some of the principles of CRO because they're going to be potentially the only one in the room when someone on the marketing team says, well, we'll just add that third variation. And so now that test manager needs to say like, okay, so either we're going to compromise on our MDE or the length of field, they have to know how to calculate run times as an example. So they need to have some of those CRO skills to be able to be effective in their role. They also need to have the other foot in project management skills and figuring out how to just get things done at your organization. Um, and so that's where we get a lot of buy-in is that understanding of the friction that the test process receives in general, even agnostic people, right, to say like, okay, we have to fit into those calendars or the release cycles or, you know, there's all those unique challenges. Um, so if there's pushback, I think like it's a different pushback, because again, a lot of the clients that are coming to us like are wanting to invest in this. And so we don't get too much pushback from that. But I remember being a practitioner making the case for that second headcount where they're like, you're literally doubling your team from one to two, right? And so when you talk about those division of responsibilities, that's harder case to make. I totally get that. <laughs> so for people who, do, who are listening on, on, the, on the podcast, Tim's daughter just walked in. It, it's like one of that BBC. That is, that's that BBC exactly thing that. I think I was like, there you go. <laughs> uh, apologies there. My family has just got back from, it's my daughter's birthday trip to the... Uh, beauty salon and stuff so i don't know if you want to count us back in or if you want to leave that in posterity no we'll leave it in we'll leave it in so i just want to uh, touch on the point that you made uh, over there about and so the the interesting thing that i've seen when you have uh, people you know starting as a single cro we talked about uh, conversion optimizers joining companies and then uh, getting promoted and so I've, I've been looking at a few cases tim you've brightened up quite a bit now yeah now there's no contrast sorry <laughs> Um, so I've looked at the way people have uh, been promoted in the past. So you have typically one CRO joining a company uh, and then, uh, as you said, rather than getting a second hand who's going to help with the test management and the evangelization, what they do is they get promoted and then they hire a junior person. So now they're the C CRO manager, but still lacking in the same skills that we've talked about in the last podcast and what you just touched upon. Uh, on this um, uh, earlier in this podcast as well, Val. So we then get caught in this vicious cycle where essentially these people keep getting promoted and promoted and promoted, and then they just bring on juniors and juniors, and we never see the end of that. So essentially, we're now like in this danger zone where CRO is essentially a silo in itself. And Part of that is also the bubble that we've designed around ourselves in, in the communities we run, like Conversion World, for example, like a lot of the conversations that happen over there are tactical, are about stats, they're about uh, analytics, they're about, well, you know, we've run this test, pat on the back. 
but I've, I'm yet to see deeper conversations on that change management piece. And it concerns me because over the last couple of months, I've actually seen uh, a few teams being disbanded, like the CRO teams just being fired. And that worries me. It's like, surely you have a CRO team, the company's invested in it, and the only way is up, right? Uh, the only way is for it to grow or expand or become a, a center of excellence. Yeah, so, so I'd, I'd, I'd put that to, to, to Valand a different way. I'd say like, <clears throat> you're describing the ideal. Like we get somebody coming who's got dedicated experience, has got the mix of both kind of CRO awareness and project management awareness, ops awareness. And that's a great way to kind of provide the platform for your CRO to excel. As, uh, as Manuel just said, people tend to come in as a solo, have to do all of that by themselves. And project managing yourself is not the same as project managing a team. You, you can tell yourself off and you move your own deadlines around in your head. But when it comes to the logistics of backwards and forwards between either two people within a team or across. So what's the, what's the key discipline? What's the, 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 the education piece I think that we're missing for solo CROs to start upskilling themselves for what is genuinely the next step up which is they're not going to be the, the head CRO over a junior CRO they're going to be the test manager for their junior CRO uh, I mean I, I point people at project management books but that's not entirely the the right thing I come I've, I've got some project management background so for me that just grokked that just made sense here's how you work out a, a racy matrix here's how you work out your critical path I speak to people about critical paths sometimes and they're like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's the clues in the title. It's critical. And uh, okay. Right. There's homework to be done. <laughs> um, so we, if we're seeing this a lot, Manuel's right. I've, I've got a couple of friends in the business who have they've done a decent job. They've not disappointed. The department has isolated from the wider business has done what it's supposed to. And it's not been enough. They, they haven't managed to get that. They've had the growth and the, the, the people growth and the cost growth. But as that goes up exponentially, the expectation of the business goes up. And if you, all you're doing is adding bodies, but not working more efficiently, not working more uh, effectively, I should say, you fall over. At some point, somebody goes, this budget line's got too big, justify yourself. Right. Uh, so if you're so low, what's the, what's the sort of thing you can look to? What are the... Yeah, the <clears throat> blog post or the directions that you'd, you'd suggest that kind of people do to skill themselves to become test managers if, they, if you're looking to build out that that profile that cv to be more of a test testing program manager than being just a cro so my two my two cents on this is like and, and this gets into like a little bit of like management theory um but when uh, i've seen a lot and not just in the cro role but when you're an individual contributor and you're killing it enough for someone to promote you and invest in a second headcount a knee-jerk reaction is to duplicate yourself and to look for and write a job description for the things that you had, your skills that made you successful in your role, but that's not going to be most successful. Like when I hired my second person at AMA, I hired someone that was the exact opposite of me that was going to bring all the skills to the table that I was weakest on. I know not everyone's a fan of Myers-Briggs, but I'm an ESFJ and I hired an INTP. Like I literally found an opposite person that was going to help like challenge me and think of new ways of approaching problems. And that had like a different skill set to bring to the table. And so I love thinking about it like that when you're building a team, especially when you're in-house. And the second thing is um, I hire for like 
like aptitudes. So I don't need to see evidence of how many programs have you ran before, how many tests have you run, or what do you know about stats to decide if you're good in this test manager role. If there is someone who's in product project management who knows how to respect and work with data, I think that you can teach some of those CRO skills. And so if you have like a natural basis in some of those project management principles and understand how to build a racy and critical path, I think that, that the growth could be in the CRO realm and that that would be a nice complement to the skills that you have internally. So that's how I would think about it. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I think the project managers getting some CRO skills is probably the easiest path, especially if they've got a pot of project managers internally. And I'm sorry, again, I'm trying to get past this challenge of it's a whole new role. Why the hell are you buying? Why, why have you got project manager? We've got 20 devs over there with one project manager. We've got one CRO who wants his own project manager. No. And yeah. if, you, if you can kind of go, let's we're trying to talk about center of excellence. If you're going to then start educating the project manager to be to be more conscious of how a test is built rather than a full release or an MVP and an agile sprint is built. There are similarities, but they're different enough to trip you up if you just treat it like a project or if you treat it like a, a feature release, because certain things have to be much built to much higher standards than you would do for a, a phased release. And some things you can be a little bit more, um, should we say loose with the code? You know, it doesn't need to stand up forever. It just needs to stand up well enough to be a valid test. Right. You, know, yes. you don't have to over-engineer the back-end systems to cope with loads you get at Christmas if it's only going to run for three weeks in June. But your standard IT project manager, that's their bread and butter day job, so they will be going into risk analysis and server loads. Da, da, da. You're like, it doesn't matter. You know, Optimize your VWO, whoever's is carrying the, the, the main server load, we just need it to hold together and work on all browsers, which is nothing like their normal QA path or the normal project. It's a different, yeah. get them to come off and go, I know you've got your work breakdown structure and I know that's what you do for a full release, but we need these bits coming out and these bits pushing in because there's a different product at the end of this. And I think if they get that and they've got an understanding for, oh, I have to be flexible too, you've probably got resource in-house already. But trying to crowbar them out of the project management department or the main dev department is arguably harder than trying to hire somebody. But I think it's that, it's that trying to convince people that we can do it ourselves is is often the the war cry of somebody's about to fall flat on their face and <laughs> trying to convince people of that otherwise is difficult until they've fallen over a couple of times and i think that's that's done in kruger in in, in practice there yeah, yeah, exactly. overestimating themselves right and i think like with with uh the a bit you mentioned about project managers as well as having a conversation with uh, someone the other day and um they were talking about how they were responsible for prioritizing the ideas as well. But they were talking about it more along the lines of how they could slot it into development rather than from a CRO point of view. So was, as you rightly said, like most project managers are IT focused rather than experimentation focused. And there's a gap that could be explored and upskilling them to help them understand about testing, help them understand about experimentation might be an easier win in smaller companies, especially when you get that pushback right away. Um, you know, if you're one person saying like, we need to hire someone new, uh, that's essentially going to be another project manager that's project managing me. It doesn't work. You know, so that, that's, I think, um, I agree with him on, on that one. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I've got 
question back for both of you, which I'm not sure is necessarily fair, but hey. Sure. <laughs> um, so if we've identified, we've spent two podcasts talking about it, we all kind of agree there's a, there's a gap in what we think of is, is needed and the, the difference between successful and not successful is not I'm 10% better at stats than the next guy. It's actually I'm much better at getting things done with whatever tools. Um, how do we solve that? You know, if, if Manuel's saying we're seeing successful, you know, measurably successful CRO teams from good companies that have got otherwise got a fairly data-driven culture, just going cost-based, gone. And they've done nothing wrong. They've just failed to do a couple of extra things right. And that's, it's going to end up killing, you know, kind of the, the opportunity for people to grow teams. We've still got people looking at your Spotify's and the various people who've, who've kind of evangelized tribes and stuff going, I want to be like them but not seeing how they got to build to that point and the growing pains out to that point. So, you know, Manuel sees this again and again with effective experiments. He's got people who come back to effective experiments at different companies. They move on. They move, he sees them in three or four roles. He may well be watching the careers progression of like four or five people. He's seen <laughs> four or five times at different stages of this. And they've all had, oh, you were telling me about this problem. I haven't seen it. Next company. Oh, yeah, now I get you. <laughs> but as as kind of people in the industry who've having this conversation obviously if you're kind of boarding people you're advising people already val beyond kind of shouting into the void on podcasts is there anything more we can <laughs> can do to kind of make people aware of the fact that there's there's a lot more between the theory of what can be a good uplift and the practicality of day-to-day -day reliably building a machine that finds success again and again and again and again and again and feeds itself so it grows healthily um, I, I've done it a few times. I haven't got any kind of recipe. It tends to be the same thing. Is team building is as much a a challenge as as managing the projects. And yeah, I'd be interested to see what you guys think in terms of kind of how we can help people do better. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is if the only time you're evangelizing what you can get from a CRO program or the impact it can deliver, the only time you're talking about that is at budget time. You're doing it wrong. And so the more often that you can put in front of people, people that matter, what we've learned, all the actions that we've taken, like think about just all the metrics that you can collect on your program about um, one, one that we, we do with one of our clients is number of site or app changes that were rooted in evidence from testing. And so it's like, you know, 80% of the, the changes, even if it wasn't a direct test, it was like an insight that we carried over like that's huge or um, pulling in the right people to the testing program pulling them into the fold I think there's some some audiences that have felt neglected for some time right so like application development teams like they they are putting out releases like at whatever cadence continuous delivery or every two weeks wherever agile that's all experimentation it's not controlled experimentation and they can't measure their lifts the same way but like they're essentially taking some of the same risks that, that we are with experimentation, just in, in a different light. So I think pulling in some people to this, pro, to this process and program, especially in the ideation phases, helps with the, not only the ideas that you're getting, but like getting yourself connected, like more, like your roots are growing across the organization, right? Like, so you're making yourself an invaluable part of other people's processes versus it being like, here's something that we do. It's like, here's something that we all do. I don't know. That's kind of like the framing that we, we really like to encourage. So, so my two cents over here is, um, I think I've mentioned this a couple of times, maybe in conversations to your or on, on one of the podcasts before. The challenge that 
we have as an industry is the fact that when we, you know, as you say, people are looking at these big companies with these squads and tribes and they want to get there, but they, there's no recipe, there's no format, there's no training out there that shows you exactly what steps you need to take. And if you look at any of the vendors out there, um, you know, way back from when they were talking about how easy it was to run tests, you know, you can just change button colors, to now they're doing exactly the same thing when it comes to culture of experimentation. Their recipe is make it shareable, make it visible, get people enthusiastic. And that's the same thing I keep hearing from other CROs parroting the exact same thing. Great, go out and do that. What happens? Nothing happens. And the reason for that I found is you don't give anyone context. You don't give anyone the, um, you know, as you said, Val, it's like getting people involved uh, from, te from um, you know, the, the development side. You, that's not like a, hey, just come and look at this stuff. And that is not the end of it, right? They end up getting crowbarred and sitting bored in a meeting going, hey, we're in the CRO meeting. I've got proper work to be doing in a minute. Exactly. It's, it's, exactly. It's, the, it's following the shape, but not actually doing what the spirits intended. So I think Val was trying to make the point there. I think that made it very well, actually. was the, Part of, uh, taking back to the very first thing she said, every touch point is a chance to be evangelizing. So it's not a question of going, today you're going to be evangelized too. Today you will be convinced <laughs> of the value. Because people will just sit there going, uh-huh. <laughs> but you're trying to help people out. This is what you're doing. If you're going for the center of excellence model, you are trying to help people out. So you have to uh, empathize with where they're at. You have to understand what their problem is, both for their business goals, but also their problem with CRO. Why aren't they freeing up time? What, what blocker do you represent to them? And can you, because it's part of your responsibility and ideally your test manager's responsibility, if you've got somebody doing that, to kind of go, okay, I, I get what you're trying to do and I can see how what I do makes it harder for you. Let's, let's try and address that bit. And if yeah. they can see that back and forth and then next time, oh, by the way, I've got this test result. It wasn't on your main area, but a bit of insight for you. It looks like price sensitivity isn't as important for these PPC campaigns because we did something that was heavily price sensitive and the rest of the market reacted, but these guys, not significant. There was much difference on the segment when we looked at it. Could be interesting if you want to play bump the prices on your PPC stuff. Oh, okay, thanks. And it's, it's just a little bit of kind of, hey, look, that data was in that test when it happened. I didn't plan it, but doing an analysis would suggest maybe do a bit of a deep dive on that. Yeah. But that gives them something they didn't have to work for that may help them with their job and they stop thinking of you as the whole oh, bloody hell, it's the CRO lot coming over to tell me they do it better. It's like, no, we're, we're optimizing and we're trying to infuse about everybody doing something a little bit better. And if you've yep. got devs coming over, it's not, why aren't you turning around my tests fast enough? It's like, I know you're under, underfunded, under-resourced because it's the dev department. It's, it's always underfunded, under-resourced. I don't know any set of developers sat there going, we've got more people than we need. We're good. No. <laughs> Said no one ever. <laughs> we're smashing, we're smashing our deadlines, and we've got 15 people sat there with a feet up. That's that's <laughs> the development work will will is will fill the vacuum. So whatever you've got that's spare will get used by something. So this then again plays into one of, especially one of the strengths of optimization is it's not perfectionization. It is optimization. So if we are using the optimal amount of resource and people and things to achieve the goal then sometimes we have to recognize that the test we'd like to run for our target and our particular budget 
doesn't fit within the devs roadmap for stuff they've got to get done for other critical business thing and we may have to go i'd love to run this test right now it fits perfectly in the roadmap but actually this big monstrous developer test that's going to take three devs out for three weeks it's gonna to have to wait till q4 why because they've got to do their new product release this month and they could either rush it and we'll push the product release back or i'll do a couple of tests that are simpler self-serve or need one day's dev time and if I'm flexible like that, understanding that although it's important to my roadmap, and I'll go argue that to the boss as to why, they can see that I appreciate that they've got limited time and I'm not forcing stuff on them. But guess what? Next time you ask them for a favour, they'll remember you as the one department that didn't force them to drop everything because we've got a bug, fix it. I'm in the middle of doing my proper work. That's So I have these conversations with the Invisible Dev all the time. But, <laughs> but that that's effectively a way to show how you're optimising. And it's not about... You know, I talk about gamifying, that's how you get some people involved, but it's not about which test one kind of stuff. It's showing that this is a mentality and you basically have to be that facilitator. And sometimes it means that you have to reach out and use time that could be spent wireframing and planning tests and justifying your existence to make sure there is an existence in the future to justify. And it's very difficult to kind of plant seeds now that mean that you're not having tricky conversations or when you have a budget conversation, you've got three other departments standing up for you going yeah. actually no it's not just what we made or how many things we released which were test test led or based on data that was gained from insights and experiments actually we also had two releases that you guys told us to do which we tested a pilot with with these guys and it turned out the way we'd all sat down at, around the table and decided to launch without a test was not going to help and we probably had gone backwards and we avoided six months worth of dev time and a potential loss of whatever it worked out to be and we were able to change the roadmap, swerve around the boulder in the road and go ahead based on them helping us avoid that, that risk. They saved you, put number on it, half a million pounds worth of dev time. Now, that's not an uplift. It's not like bottom line our conversion rate, but that sort of testing happens all the time, but it <laughs> never gets publicized because it doesn't make a lovely, easy blog post. It, you have yeah. to admit fault. You have to say, we were about to car crash really badly. These guys stopped us. Yeah. Take somebody brave to go, we were going to car crash really badly because yeah. they won't they'll go no no we were always going to do the right thing chance lucky and that undervalues the working together part i'm not saying the zeros are coming out ah oh, from the, the it's not the, the avengers swooping in and fixing stuff it's just the very practice of doing this throws these things up brings you bits of insight that suggest the direction has got flaws in it and it's not what we're polishing right now it's the very point way we're pointing that's going to cause problems in the future um but that's i mean i'm talking from many years of hard one experience that's hard to teach people chances and yeah, stuff that, that comes into your your myers brick personality you have to have the cojones the, the 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 mentality to go out and spot the opportunity to say i could probably help with that and then do it not just say it well, that's a huge part of it. And so I think like if, if there's a test that you want to run, just going back to your story, your example, if there's a test that you really wanted to run, but it's like really heavyweight and it's not what's on the roadmap, maybe that was a switch in priorities. Like ideally you're testing things that are priorities that are business goals. So you are working with the same North star, but we know that's not how it always happens. Hmm. So while that's on hold, like I found a lot of, um, progress especially with dev teams specifically with this example to say like okay well it sounds like you have a really big release coming up is there any way that i could help you de-risk that through testing yeah. and think about is there a way like is there some debate 
because there was one detail in the BRD about like, is this a fly out or is this an accordion? And you're like, okay, well that's pretty big because it's above the fold or whatever. And you're like, can we can test that? Or you can talk to them in, in their words, like what if we canary release this together? Like feature flagging, we could do, you know, um, like all those different terms that are really gonna help them, especially if it's like a, a large redesign where they know that they're accepting a lot of risk. Like that's one way to talk through it. And I, I know that the non-inferiority tests don't they aren't as sexy but like measuring the percentage of saves i think is just as important as measuring the amount of wins <coughs> yeah, you still have the learnings that you can share right totally and the, the amount of money you make quite often is, is superior or the fail to lose if you want to look at it that way but so that you should be planning your tests for both you know the hypothesis and then what happens in the counter hypothesis so i think it's very valid if you like talking their language makes a difference um we talked about the devs same thing with marketing an awful lot of the more tactical things that put stuff that puts pressure on your your um, prioritization is you've got a long uh, planned out you've worked out the value your conversion funnel needs work there's friction all the way through you're kind of reworking out the kind of the pathing and the messaging throughout the pathing and it's a long series of 12 tests it's going to make sure that we're going to plug as many leaks on the way down but make sure it's consistent all the way down that's your plan for the summer that's what you've pitched the boss that's what you've got budget for the marketing come in and say We've got sale promotion. We have a banner on the front page, and you're like, "Yeah, you can, but like, that's not not an important test to me." But they will be coming up with ideas all the time because that's like literally their job. They have to come up with inventive ideas to create traffic, create interest, create solutions. If you just turn around and go, "Poo poo, it doesn't fit my plan," they'll either go off and get their own testing platform and do their own exactly. unbouncer A/B testing that without help, and then come up to their own, "Hey, look, we're testing." It looks indistinguishable from the outside to the boss. Oh, well, we've got two testing departments. That seems actually you can turn around to them and go, look, you've got this bright idea. You want to have a new product or you want to test this. Let's do a smoke test and, and let's, let's put a, a, like a, a blind door test and go, oh, we, we've taken on PayPal. No, we haven't. PayPal button not working. Sorry, but you count how many people tried. And that wants to give you some. So if you want to see if it's worth okay. pursuing this rabbit hole and you can quite often go, nobody clicked it. So the whole plan to do a big marketing spiel about now accepting PayPal doesn't work because nobody clicked it. Or other way around, hugely popular devs, you might want to talk to marketing because they've got a plan and we need to get this on the road. <laughs> but that, yeah, that facilitation is, is key to it. And it, you that flexibility in the roadmap, like we talk about, the, I talk about it like rocks in the stream. So people talk about swim tracks and all stuff, whatever analogy you want to draw. But if you've got a roadmap that's made of these big milestone monster decision-making tests, which will give you direction and hopefully kind of big value from, there's also all these little pebbles that are set around it. And as the stream's going past, you've got that and, and you end up with a blockage. And if you've got three big monster things and something drops another boulder in the way, like dev have got a release that you can't do for three months. Well, I'm going, sit here with my feet up, moan that I can't get my big test out the door, kind of go, okay well i can't fit a boulder in but let's pick up some of those three or four pebbles that weren't able or like you were saying let's do some not maybe kind of thoroughly diligent but like simple tests that give us yes no answers on things that have been debated and on the basis that we're going to basically test for no harm if it's if we're trying to choose between these two we're going to test to see if it's huge harm in one direction bin it if there's no difference pick the one you like but we can probably fit 15 of those in whilst we're waiting for the the, the stream to clear mm-hmm and those ones, although they're useless for your how much money did you get on ROI um, report at the end of the year, they're hugely valuable for the the team will talk to me and work with me stuff because those little pebbles that are nothing to your plan can be hugely pivotal to something they need to make a decision on right now. 
and it's the speed and kind of I can sort that for you part that again you know wins friends and influences people but it, it gets you to a position where you are able to horse trade and say you can have yours if I can have a bit of mine because that's how business works and I think the silo problem which we kind of talked about and the people can how do you get from silo to center of excellence that's where the silos end up knackered because when it comes to problems there's nobody backing them up they've never played with the other people nicely so therefore people either actively dislike them or more typically are ambivalent because it's not their problem and there's nobody yeah. to defend or say actually no some of the stuff they do that doesn't register on the revenue thing was hugely useful to me well and so i agree with everything you said just now except for one <clears throat> one point you said that those those little tests aren't good for your program as a cro and i think that there's more than one way to like when has anyone in our industry or analytics loved a single metric? Like, no, like there's more than one ways to communicate impact. And so if you track like an insight rate or again, like I think there's like a lot of ways to communicate the value of a CRO program because like we're trying to encourage certain behaviors or like a mindset of thinking. So like in your marketing example, like, oh, we have this sale that we want to put on there. And, and then you then you say that they're buzzwords, like they're trigger words, like, oh, but I'm sure you don't want to deliver the same message to one audience, right? And like all the personalization, like opportunities start going off and like, well, let's figure out like the optimal uh, offer to put in that place. And then they're like, you'll watch their eyes light up. So I think making sure that experimentation is a part of people's process is one of the goals of a program. And so if you can find ways to track that, that's another way to communicate impact. But like, like you said, like you're going to like getting more people into understanding <clears throat> what opportunities there are or what questions they have that can be answered with this capability, <clears throat> the better off you're going to be long-term. Now I need longer. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, and to be clear, I, I agree on that bit as well. It was just I'm more saying that this is how people are selling it. They, they're trying to hit the, what is your ROI at the end of the year thing? And we're all struggling to prove that number. Yeah. And then you turn around and say, well, it's not all about the money. It's about the insight. At which point they go, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if throughout the year you've been building allies by helping them hit their targets you can exactly. quantifiably turn around and that's that's where it's difficult because we always get access to prove sort of roi and, and like man was saying kind of existing myths people kind of go we got this uplift on a red button in january we're going to annualize that to three hundred thousand over the following year and i'm like mm -hmm, okay but that, that that fairy story has has taken strong firm roots and yeah a lot of the CRO teams are having their budgets and their KPIs dictated by poorly understood stats and poorly understood um, ways of analyzing. I yeah, not, not so much ways of analyzing, just literally criteria by which you would judge a, a successful program. A successful program is a program that learns. The, the winning test is not the one with the most uplift. It's the one where you can make the most decisions. You have got the most insights from it. And, you know, there's no losing test you only get insights sounds like the the the, the war cry of the loser but if, if you make a mistake and you learn from it you don't make that mistake again if you learn why that happened you not only learn how to avoid it you learn well hang on that's that's a lever okay we pulled it in the wrong direction this time but that's actually really valuable because it means next time what if you push that lever on and pull it and the losses actually point if done properly point you towards the wins rather than just we failed to lose inferiority stuff so it's it's tricky to explain that if you've not had a long history of building up that credibility and yeah. how do you get from step a to step b is is i think at, at first you need allies and you yeah. can't these what seem to be throwaway tests you can't make you can't claim they've got value until 
they show value and like as you were saying if these have got value to the marketing team for their, their dev team for their stuff it's not just you saying it it's the other teams around you and as part of engaging with them and getting them bought, bought into the mentality you're also building yourself allies around you to say actually that'd no, be useful if we could get more involved i just don't have time it'd be really good if we had i don't know somebody who could manage tests that could speak to all of us <laughs> and you can then make the argument for that kind of central kind of uh, facilitating role as opposed to being a large chunk of the time a CRO spends when in theory we just spend all our time analyzing wireframing and getting tests live actually yeah. that's it that's always the minority of the time we spend whenever you look at effective experiments or a project management system think of idea wireframe build it is the one that's kind of most copy pasteable it's the justifying your existence and running around chasing permissions and getting things signed off and organizing meetings and talking to people part that's a huge time burner and you can't yeah. stop that so we end up trying to make tests more efficient and actually well we can make talking to people more efficient by making it less of a hassle they want to do it they come to you with ideas yes because last time it was really helpful brilliant i mean if, if you're if you're coming to me and asking my advice and then going away and doing something about it that's literally what i can do and if you're doing it with your team and your resource both of us are optimizing Absolutely. One key thing to avoid over here is, is a megaphone approach as well, because it's all too easy. Again, just by saying you need to go out there, you need to talk to people, you need to make allies and people interpret this as like, you know what, we're just going to evangelize and, and spread the good word about, about testing. And it's just like a one way conversation. And it's really, we, we should be the ones doing more of the listening than doing the talking. Uh, because I think that's where we start losing people initially. So if we go in and... You know, I'm, in, I'm in big trouble there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, you're right. But it's a good thing you're not building that program there, Tim. But, uh, I mean, the, the challenge, I mean, even in meetings where, as you, you said earlier, people are there in the, C in the CRO meetings, but you know, half their attention is pulled away thinking, what's the important things coming up on their plate? And it's high time we realize we shouldn't be going out there with the megaphone and you know this this culture of sharing and, and culture of you know gamification and voting is great but it's not an immediate thing it doesn't happen overnight it you're not going to get a culture of experimentation asap and there is a lot of work involved and as you said there is no blog post there's no kind of case study that's going to make it sound like you know you you can do it asap it takes months of work and yeah that that is the reality of it yeah, so I think that would be the advice is, is, is when you see somebody tuned out and you, you, cause you are going out and making, putting this stuff out there. If you see somebody kind of goes who doesn't get why that was big, ask them, but like, say to them, hello, hi, I'm the bloke who just did the talking thing on stage. Um, do you understand what we're just talking about? Do you think, is, can you see how that could help you? And they go, I've already got problems. You've got to drag it out of them. But if, if you, they explain a problem and you don't get it, actually it's on you to try and learn how to make it fit 100% with that and that's yeah. the effort part which is yeah hard to teach is because if you ask somebody have you got a problem no especially British people no it's fine <laughs> <laughs> you're never you're never going to get that answer so you have to kind of do some experience almost a sales pitch you have to do some exploratory questioning and don't ask yeah. closed questions and kind of find out what well, what's your current biggest problem okay so how do you how do you currently work out if that where you go you know with a release test or a flag test. Okay, so how do you work out success on that at the moment? Would it be more helpful to have sort of, if not perfect accuracy, better accuracy on that or 
is there a kind of a threshold for fail or not or do you just roll anything that looks remotely negative back straight away and by kind of talking them through what they do you'll probably get a couple of ideas thrown at you which you go oh, i can probably help on that don't at that point jump on them and go ha ha but park it in the back of mind ask more questions and kind of think okay and then go back to them with a formulated answer saying you know we had that conversation and you said yeah. it'd be lovely if well I, mean, I might be off base here but would that work and then we go no not quite but and then you that you're both working on it and, and that's yeah. much more seamless but you can't formalize that as a let's sit down and talk about how we can work um, together bullet yeah. point was better collaboration between departments let's have a team lunch at 12 30 and have everybody go hmm, and just sit awkwardly in corners kind of going hello marketing it's it's <laughs> right you see well, so it happen all the time that, before the um test manager role before i had a name for that now at search discovery when i had that second person on my team we treated ourselves like a little internal agency within our org and i would i would talk about it in terms of like you're in charge of your own BD pipeline. So find ways to join meetings that people would never put on your calendar. So you can hear about those organic conversations about like, I wonder what we, we should approach this. And then you can be like, <laughs> I can help with that. Because I remember one of the first times um, that we did this like roadshow, we, um, I, I hated that it was like such a pissing match on the homepage, like, oh, like who's going to be first? And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's not even the most visited entry page or the most visited page on our site. And so we did this whole analysis of like the top 10 front doors of our website, which were like the top 10 landing pages. And we came up with like three to five test ideas that we thought would help people, like whether it was a cross sell or whatever. And so we did this roadshow for each of the, the people who owned those front doors. And I remember coming in hot being like, hey, here's all these ideas and like coming in hot. And they're like, first of all, like, who are you? Why do I need to listen to you? My job was doing just fine before you came in and scheduled this meeting. And we were like, why are people excited? They should be doing like cartwheels down the hallway. This is like really good work. <laughs> and, and we didn't get it. But like, as soon as we started to listen to their problems like what are how are you measured at the end of the year like when you have your mid-year review with your boss like what are the talking points like and how can we help you whether it's product whether it's marketing whether it's like building awareness of of this new feature you know functionality that you have like how can we help support you in that that's when we got like i mean it seems like so obvious now but it's like such a thing to be like oh i watched this really cool webinar i read these blog posts i can just I can see all the opportunity, like jump off the page, like, you know, some crazy sci-fi movie to me. But like, if you're not ingraining it with things that other people care about, then I don't know. Like, I don't know, I don't know what you're doing because it's all about rolling up to business KPIs and, and value in that way. I think that we see that a lot as well. People kind of, one of the other things if kind of CROs are siloed, we're also seen as arrogant because we're all their experiences is we come in and say, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, your baby's ugly. We, we test, we tested your baby and it's an ugly baby. And then they go like, and we go, they weren't pleased about that. I mean, accurate, like just seven decimal places, it's an ugly baby. But for some reason, they were not pleased. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's what I started up by saying empathy. We have to kind of, uh, the biggest way to try and get out of this, and I know we can sort of ask what's the solution. It's, it's hard. I can't plant this in somebody's head. Some of this is personality. For me, I'm, I'm very much on the IN side. If you're talking Myers-Briggs, I'm much more introverted. The rest of it's just a mask I have to put on because I have to go out. But I'm my more overwhelming drive is I don't like broken stuff. Like if something could be done more efficiently or better, or there's a way to get it to, to 
stop clicking when it's not working. I'm in there. I'm taking the thing apart. As a kid, I was taking apart TVs going, why is this not working? I'm still here. So none of the TVs worked again, but I was <laughs> driven to do so. So if I'm in that meeting, even though I hate the whole, excuse me, can I just interject? Uh, I have to, but I also hate seeing potential get wasted. Right. Yeah. So that will be the one which drives me to do kind of, okay, I don't want to, but I'm going to set up saying, you're about to, can I just say, there's probably some data I've got on a recent test, which might help with that. And then say, and then start the questioning, kind of go, but let me just make sure I understand where it fits. But that's personal. That's that's how I kind of get up and do that. I get that. Yeah, it, it's, it's tricky because you feel like, who am I to tell sales how to do sales job? Or who am I to tell marketing how to do marketing job or dev to do? But if you are hungry to make it better and you need to understand more, asking questions is perfectly okay yeah and that's that's the difference between Emmanuel's point about listening and talking we joke about me talking all the time but <laughs> if you're asking if you're talking if you're if you're saying the right things you can get reactions back and if you've got sales training you can actually use that to guide people to expose stuff they wouldn't normally and that's why I said about so open questions rather than closed don't go can we help you because you'll get a yes or no answer usually no if you start going, I'm interested, tell me more about that. And then they go X, Y, Z. And you go, no, tell me more about that. And it's people talk about the, the whys. But you are kind of going, why, why, why? You're that irritating toddler. Before, yeah, peeling the onion. You've got, you've got an, an, you peeled in, you've got a notebook full of stuff that helps you get in the head of what drives them, what motivates them. And if you're good at it, not their department role, but them as a person. This is somebody yeah. who likes to go home at five o'clock, does not want extra stuff, wants to keep the head down maybe not a candidate for joining me on the crusade to write the world. <laughs> but between nine to five, I'm allowed to use their time and understand that they want to have peace and quiet. Let's just make their life easier for them. You know, they'll appreciate yeah. going home at five and seeing the kids, but you, you can pick and choose who, who you work with as co-champions. And that's, that's kind of the next part of once you get past evangelism, you need, you need missionaries. You need other people yeah. other than you going out and spreading the good word. Absolutely. And that's trickier to build because you need to have worked out their problems for them to have that belief. And that's almost a one-to-one -one. and it can be frustrating. It can work really well with one person in the department and they leave because they were good. They're off and out or, or up the, the, the org structure and you have to start again and again, and then you move up and, and but this is optimization. No test is ever the final test. It's never the perfect page. Right. So if, you, if you run away scared from like optimizing your organizational setup, you're in the wrong game. You know, right. you know, that mentality yeah. has to be hungry. Yeah. I just want to go back really quick to something you said earlier, Manuel, before we're out of time, because when Tim asked us our question about how are we going to fix this, one of the things that you mentioned that team say to you is like, oh, you know, the process isn't democratized or like people don't have access to it. And I just want to highlight the difference of democratizing something and making something publicly available on your intranet, because there's a difference between making sure that people are aware of what you've learned and they can take those insights back to their role that you've already transformed it into the the way that they receive information you've already taken that step instead of showing them a table or again posting a link on your internet that is not democratizing the CRO process like if that's all you're doing again you're doing it wrong so highlighting the difference that there's there's behaviors that you're trying to model with making that available outside of just the fact that multiple people can log into the same thing at one time <laughs> Yeah, so, and, and going back to one point as well, I know we're going to be out of time soon. So talking about, uh, about that, Tim, so uh, you said, what are, we, what, are, what are 
what are the resources out there that's going to help people on this, right? And yeah, there aren't many because everyone is talking about shortcuts and growth hacks and quick ways to share stuff, which again, in the long term, it doesn't work. It, it's, There's it, a lot of final final pictures. Like, here's what our tribe looks yeah. like after. Yeah, and, and <laughs> I, I shared something with uh, with Val the other day about this conversation I had with Bart Scoots, like way back in uh, season one, episode four, about how gamification only enables short-term results, but not long-term stuff. So I think what I want to do, and, and this is like part of our, our company's mission as well, is to put that content out there. Part of it is this podcast, but also part of it was... Uh, the boot camp we ran last year, which again touches upon a lot of those points, uh, and content that's essentially going to hopefully get people thinking about more about the organization and the way they they champion themselves and enable themselves to become more well enable stickiness of the CRO uh, setup within the organization, so that if someone starts questioning them, they they have allies that can back them up and help them stay in and, yeah. and also re really go beyond the, the the stats go beyond the you know how to set up a test because there is all that content out there there are companies that are doing it way better and i i really want to help you know through our, our through our blog through our podcast through our content out there really help them with that so that's my little way of, of helping the industry i i don't know if it's going to make a massive difference it might be too much work maybe those growth hacks are easier to look at <laughs> so I was going to say that in terms of kind of place to read, it kind of depends on how you absorb that sort of information. But if we, we've, I mean, Val and I are both thrown away sort of racy uh, matrix stuff today. Um, hands up who's listening or hands up who's watching, who even knows what that is or WBS. Um, if you don't know some of the basic project management terms, go, go to Wikipedia, literally racy, daisy, find out, oh, okay, responsible, okay, just follow on, because there'll be somebody, and if you're talking to the marketing department, trying to work out what's important to them in terms of their, I mean, quite a lot of the time you'll see stuff kind of, we're aiming for target, I can get your banner clicked on more often, and the argument about the home page or that rotating carousel we hate so much on the, the, the main landing page, that's not really there for the user, that's there to settle an argument between the merch departments, yeah. yeah. So, so we've got five, five, five different premium partners we get for supplies, and part of the percentage deal we get for our e-commerce deal with these guys is we do must do X volume, and the rep that talked to them said, and you will also get a place on our homepage. So we end up with a carousel, not because it's the best thing to be clicked on by the user, but because we've promised certain real estate in exchange for a commercial deal. Okay, well, if that's the case, did you promise how big that banner would be? Like, could we optimize so you get more people in there? And but understanding, but if you've never had anything to do with the merch side, never had to do understand with the, the buying side, you've you've you spoken you've spoken to them and they've said, yeah, we've got this merch agreement with so and so affiliate kickback. Don't look like a fool. Go just go off do a bit of googling, read up about it, and kind of go. I read this. Does, do you mean this is how we work? And you don't have to be classic t-shirt we're not talking about getting super deep on all of these incredibly complex and interlinked things you just need to have a better idea than you do as just a CRO to kind of go yeah where does my stuff fit where are their problems and when he talked to me about their problem where how does that affect his business or his part of the business her part of the business and if that's useful to you that learning cycle that I'm investigating I'm interesting will mean that you are better prepared to then have the conversations because I think both me and Vala said the best place to learn is your business speak to the people who are currently having that pain they've got 
yeah. business's version of whatever the theory says. But the problem with the, the, the templates out on the web and the ready, finished, follow this framework is that works for that company that's talking about it. But they, there is no how to get their stage and it works for that company. Yours is likely to look different. Same yeah. concepts. The steps to get there will probably be similar, but the actual end result will be slightly different to the classic tribe or the classic center of excellence model that you've got because there'll be an organization or a market or a financing difference that means that you can't do it quite the way that they ended up. But that's okay because it's optimal for your business. Cool. We are out of time right now, so let's wrap up over here. Thank you for joining me, Val and Tim. Again, uh, thanks for joining. Uh, hopefully, you guys have taken a lot away from uh, this episode. Uh, we'll probably touch upon this point again at some point in the near future. Uh, but thanks for listening. You've been listening to uh, Conversion Nations. My name is Manuel da Costa. Check out our previous episodes on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's also available on the video version. Uh, all the episodes are on EffectiveExperiments.com. Uh, thanks for listening. I'll see you soon. Bye. You've been listening to Conversion Nations. Don't forget to subscribe to get notified when we release new updates. Conversion Nations is brought to you by Effective Experiments. Want to make experimentation a core part of your business? Request your demo and let us show you how we can help you grow your testing program.